to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Um, I want to give a couple shout-outs for people who have new books out this week. Um, uh, Jennifer Snow, a.k.a. J.M. Winchester, has her um, new book released today. Um, Also, I want to – it didn't exactly release today, but it released almost – close to today. Um, John Girlstrap, one of my favorite authors of all times, has released Total Mayhem. If you've never read John's book, you're missing out because it is simply, simply amazing. Um, Every book that he writes starts off with a hell of a bang, and this one is no different. Um, But tonight is a very special episode. You're not going to have to listen to me talking. I'm only having a problem unmuting a couple microphones in my studio, which um, hopefully... There they go. There they go. They're now unmuted. Um, I have a very special guest host today. I'm going to play technician, kick back, and listen. My guest host tonight is the magnificent Dr. D.P. Lyle. He is not only a fabulous physician and surgeon, he is an Amazon number one best-selling author, a McCavity and Benjamin Franklin Silver Award-winning author. He's received two Edgars, a Seamus and Agatha, a Anthony, a Scribe, USA Today, Best Book Award, and Forward Indies Book of the Year nominated author for both his nonfiction and his fiction. Um, he also, I'm very honored to say is my colleague in the network. His show is called Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. It is a master class in crime fiction writing. Welcome to Dr. P. Lyle. Hi, Doug. How are you? Hey, Pam. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Who is your guest tonight? My guest is the irrepressible John Gilstrap. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, how lucky could I get? I get to replace the irreplaceable you, and I get to have the irrepressible John. So You're, <laughs> take it away, Doug. I'm just your okay. tech for tonight. Okay. You got it. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, it's nice to be here. Yeah. Should we tell people that while we're talking, you're actually doing surgery on me? It's kind of a new approach <laughs> no, actually, to – Actually, I'm sitting out back with a bourbon and a cigar, so <laughs> <laughs> almost the same it's thing. A, almost the same thing, exactly. And by uh, way of full disclosure, John and I are friends. We go back many years, and uh, and I'm a big fan, so uh, I can be fanboy here a little bit too. But let's let's get into some stuff here. Um, uh, John has the honor of having a degree in American history uh, from William and Mary College. Uh, and then he decided that wasn't going to get him any great jobs. So he moved on and, and got his master's in safety engineering. He worked as a volunteer fireman. Uh, he created an, his own consulting company. He's an expert in firearms and explosives and all kinds of mayhem. Uh, I mean, it, it's really a, a wild career that you have had. And my question is, since we're talking about writing here on Authors on the Air, is is how do all of these different facets and, and, and stages in your life help you tell your stories? What parts have you incorporated in the things you've done over the years? Well, you know, it's really interesting. It's it's you don't realize that you're living a life that is training you to become a thriller writer, right? I mean, it's it just kind of you do what what seems to be the right thing to do. I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, you know, it's, that's really what the history degree was about. 
Um, but as a young writer, you don't have, I didn't have much to say, and uh, so I went the technical route. But my safety engineering took me into, um, I was the safety director for an explosives manufacturing plant. So, you know, that, that got me introduced to uh, that sort of thing. In the meantime, I was also in, in the Fire and Rescue Service. Uh, it was volunteer, but we were the busiest station in Virginia at the time. We, the, our department ran 14,000 calls a year as volunteers. And um, I tell people I had the perfect job. I got to blow stuff up, and then I got to put it out later. So, you know, it's kind of it's, it's full circle. But in terms of, you know, how to A safety engineer for an explosive plant. Did that yeah. ever get dicey? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the good news is I have all ten fingers and ten toes, so I was a good safety engineer. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, you only have to make one mistake. <laughs> exactly. It goes really fast, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were, there were some tragedies. There was a lot of, um, you know, you're working with, with hazardous stuff and hazardous stuff makes you, you know, pay attention to, to the finer details. And, um, I guess I've always been sort of an adrenaline junkie and didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, that was probably the case. And now in terms of how it informs my writing, you know, I've never written a fire service, um, book. I think I'm too close to it. And, uh, frankly, it doesn't interest me, but I've been shot at. I have, um, I have saved people's lives. I have, uh, witnessed people's deaths. There was one day, um, it, it was the most bizarre day, you know, sometime in the mid, probably late eighties. Um, I held a baby while it died. And then within 10 hours I was giving, you know, aiding in the birth of a new baby. So, it was, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You live it. Yes. And you. Been there, and, done that, and it stays with you forever. It does stay with you forever. And yep. while I don't write about it specifically, when I need an emotion for the for the writing, it's there. Exactly. Exactly. I don't write about doctors either. I find doctors boring. Uh, and I have to spend too much time with them anyway. <laughs> uh well, let's, let's also go back in the early part of your career. Tell us who Kurt Moose is in about six minutes to freedom. What's what's the story behind that? That's very intriguing to me. Well, Kurt Muse is uh, still is. I shouldn't speak to him in past tense. He's still yeah. around. Um, but in the uh, growing up, his father owned a business in Panama City, in Panama, and. So Kurt and his family grew up on the local Panamanian economy. Um, you know, here's this guy. He's about six three, blonde hair. You know, it just he stood out like a sore thumb in in the community. But he was very much a part of the community, and he's uh, all of his friends were Panamanian. Uh, so then, in the late '80s, as Noriega was coming into power, um, Noriega killed several of Kurt's friends. And Kurt ended up banding together with his fellow Rotarians, part you know the Panama City Rotary Club, and they really? put together this resistance network that was determined to you know trying to drive the populace to vote Noriega out. I don't know if you remember the headlines back then, but you know he had thugs yep. polling places and beat the crap out of people who tried you know vote the wrong way. So um, Kurt put together and his buddies put together with Radio Shack equipment. Um, a, a radio <laughs> network that would overpower the national radio of Panama. So they would interrupt 
drive time radio and it's all with this throw the bum out thing. So he uh, ultimately was betrayed and arrested. And the night he was arrested, his 15-year-old daughter and 12-year-old son were home alone, and they had to flee the country by themselves. And wow. the PDF were chasing them. And then Kurt ended up going to Modelo Prison, and you know, there's a lot of yada yada in here. But on the opening, literally the opening shots of Operation Just Cause, the invasion of Panama, literally the first shots were in support of Kurt's rescue by Delta Force. So, I mean, it's just, it's this tremendous true-life thriller of, of a story that I had never heard. And um, we, Go ahead. And, and, and you wrote a nonfiction story of this or a nonfiction production of this. Is this what led you down the path to, to write more high-tech? Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, at the time, Six Minutes to Freedom was the name of that book, um, my only nonfiction book because I'm never doing another one. Uh, that's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Making stuff up is way easier. Um, exactly. But at the time, it was the only book that uh, Delta Force had ever cooperated in. And uh, I met a lot of these guys, and I had a lot of research, and um, you know, I got to see stuff that people with my background shouldn't be allowed to see. And um, it just it got me this idea. You know, the real the real special forces guys. You know, at that level. Um, they're not, obviously they're very lethal. I mean, they're capable of, of great lethality, but they're nice guys. I mean, they're, they're fun and yep. funny and they're gentle and yep. they're gentlemen. And, you know, it's, it's not, and they got families and they, they were all concerned about all the same stuff that everybody else is concerned about. And i just never thought that it was op- appropriately represented, um, on, on the page and on the screen. So I thought I'd do it my way. So Jonathan Grave is a former Delta operator who's a freelance hostage rescue specialist. And um, he's fabulously wealthy from ill-gotten gains from his father. His father was a criminal. And um, Jonathan ends up doing a lot of work ultimately for Uncle Sam that Uncle Sam can't do. And uh, so it's kind of – that's been a fun ride. The, uh, the well, whole he's, a, series, he's but, a great character, and that, that's what I was going to ask you is how did you develop him? I mean, obviously, you talked about using some of the things you learned from Delta Force and, and, and this event, uh, the Six Minutes to Freedom and other things like that. But how did you, as you developed this character, how did you flesh that character out? That could almost be a caricature, you know, and flesh him out into a real person, which he is. Well, thank you for that. I'm, I'm glad he comes off as real, and I really don't have an answer for that question. It's that's to me that's the writing process. You know, I used to watch exactly. there was a show. Maybe it's still on inside the actor studio. Um, we don't get it in the DC mm-hmm. area where I live anymore. And they always talked about method acting. You know, where you, you go and you take on the persona of your character, and 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 that's where the characterization comes from. To me, writing is the same thing. You know, I I, I take a character from his point of view or her point of view. And I write the scene as they would see it and they would live it, and and somehow it works out. I I really don't understand my own process, and I worry. Usually, I worry about thinking about it too much. Exactly. Yeah, I think I remember I asked Elmore Leonard once a long time ago how he came up with all his great characters. I said, "Do you do sketches or anything?" And his answer was, "No, I don't do anything like that." He said, "It might take me a few weeks or a couple of months to come up with a name, but once I got the name, I know the character." And the brilliance of that was overwhelming because what he did is he lived with a guy in his head, 
Mm-hmm. And once he lived with him long enough, he realized who he was, what he was, what he looked like, how he acted, how he talked, how he thought. And then the name became the name, you know, uh, and it, it, no other name would fit. You know, people also talk about character arcs, how characters change. When you're writing a series character, uh, what do you see as the limits on that? I mean, you you can't change the character too much, but yet there has to be something going on with inside the character to make the story deeper. How, how do you handle that? You know, I think, again, uh, by the seat of my pants for the most part, yeah, exactly. you know, Jonathan – you know, it's we call what I do a series. It's actually a recurring character that does pretty much standalone books. So, the real character development are are the people that Jonathan is helping. You know, they're the ones that have to live an entire story within a, a single book. Um, Jonathan, you know, he he does develop in the sense that um, he's he's a man of great character. He has a very strong moral and ethical code um, that he can't always live to because sometimes bad guys push him to places that he he has to go. Um, But all of that has a cumulative effect on him. But what I have not done in the series, and I don't know if this is for good or ill, I remember talking to uh, Michael Connolly, who's, you know, Bosch, Herodotus Bosch, aged every year. And so you have a successful series, and suddenly, you know, you, you end up with... Yep. old people. So I made a, I've never mentioned Jonathan's age. I've never mentioned his, I've never described him other than he has blue eyes. Uh, because I, I think that uh, we know how he thinks and how he feels and how he reacts and what other people think about him and all that. But in, in those kind of details, I think are best left to the reader. I agree. I agree. I, th- I think that, I think that's important. And I think, I think, from from uh, to add, add my point of view on this thing, I think that you don't really evolve the character that much, but what you do is you peel back more layers of the character that are there all the time for the reader to get to know, especially of readers who follow the series and are you know lifelong fans and read all the books. Uh, you learn more and more and more about the character, but it's really the same character. He's just put in different situations each time, and the, and the reader learns more about them. And that's kind of in the books I've read in the in the Grave series. That's kind of how I feel about him too. We just learn more about him. I think that's true, you know. And it's the yeah. balance, as you know from writing a series. The balance is, you know, every every book attracts a new reader, right? So there are some people mm-hmm. who are going to pick up number eleven in the series exactly. as the first exposure. So. You know how much backstory you, you don't want to punish yeah. the people who have been with you for for the entire ride. That's exactly. the tough balancing act. I agree. I agree. I call that the order of information. When do you give the information, and how much do you give? And that's part of it is laying out that backstory. It's not, uh, yeah. And you know, you've read books where they stop the story and give you three pages on the guy's whole life, and it's kind of like you know, I already know this. I read the other books, and it, it does get difficult sometimes. Um. Your latest one in this series is Total Mayhem. What can you tell us about that? Well, Total Mayhem is the the latest in in the Grave books, and you right. know you can't these days thrillers almost they don't have to involve terrorism, but many of them do. And um, I don't. I think we've beaten to death the whole um, Islamist terrorism thing. Not that it's, it doesn't continue to be a threat, but it's not necessarily something I want to write about. Um, and 
in this case, in total mayhem, the terrorism is in the United States, and it's homegrown, and the opening chapter uh, starts with a uh, sniper attack on a high school football game in Indian Spear, Nebraska, which is a huh. not a real place, but you know it's it's a small town in Nebraska, and that whole thing. <clears throat> this story is based. I've I've lived my whole life in the Washington D.C. area, Northern Virginia, and you know as awful as 9/11 was, you know it's we all remember the horrors of that day. But the reality was, for those who didn't lose someone, as horrifying as it was, it was an event, and then you know we we grew past it, and it didn't really change the way individuals went about their day. That same year, in 2001, in the D.C. area, one guy with a rifle, we call him the D.C. sniper. I don't know if you remember the story or not. Oh, yeah. But um, over the course of a long time, like 45 days, I think, um, he was shooting a person a day or every other day. Uh, we were looking for a white van. It turned out not to be that way. But it was one guy with a rifle actually changed the schedules of 4 million people because that affected us. We felt vulnerable in our own lives because of that terror that is going on. So the premise of Total Mayhem is um, if, if we bring if, – if terrorists focus on the soft targets of middle America where the, the Homeland Security money has not been spent or hasn't not been given, um, suddenly – you know, law enforcement can't handle the threat. And now what does that do to our faith in in the system of government, right? So th- those are the stakes in, in total mayhem. And uh, the violence just gets the, – the plan of the terrorist is to just up the stakes on each one, and then ultimately it comes to Jonathan's hometown. Yeah, I mean, snipers are um... – are creepy characters, as you well know, and you obviously you wrote about it and you know about it. Uh, whether it's in a war zone or in a domestic situation, they're just very terrifying because it comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. in, in the middle of a normal day, like you pointed out, and that's what's scary. Even At soldiers on patrol, exactly. You know, the person drops before there's know. a gunshot. Yeah. They never know when that window two blocks away on the third floor is going to release a bullet in their direction. You never know. Scary stuff. Well, I can't wait to read this one. I haven't read Total Mayhem yet. But you also have a new series coming out. I do. Uh, Yeah, tell us about that. Well, something entirely different. Um, I'm not allowed to call it... It's a thriller, okay? It's a... uh, My inclination is to call it post-apocalyptic, but that makes the marketing people scream because... (laughs) <laughs> that implies zombies yeah. and you know that exactly. that weird supernatural stuff. It's not that. Mine is more along the um, alas, Babylon meets on the beach. Okay. And the main character, Victoria Emerson, is <clears throat> excuse me, a member of the House of Representatives from the Fourth District of Idaho. And um, when the balloon goes up, we know that war is coming because we, the United States, are going to fire the first shot. Um, she's evacuated to the government relocation center, which is a real thing. And it used to be in the Greenbrier, a fabulous resort in right. Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Um, so you got 535 members of Congress, but no family. 
they can bring one staff or they cannot bring family. So Victoria is a single mom and she says, screw this, I, I quit. So she just doesn't go into the bunker and she stays with her kids. And there's a whole quest part of, of the story, but her absence throws the balance of power uh, between the, the elected majority versus the uh, represented majority in in this bunker that is sealed yeah. for 60 days. And wow. um, and Victoria, she she all she wants to do is get back with her family. You know, that's all she cares about. But she's a natural leader, and she's she can't not be a natural leader. So she ends up being, you know, judge and and uh, mayor of these desperate people who are trying to find you know after after the war is over. World War Three lasts about eight hours, and um, you know there's hundred. 50 million people dead, but there's 150 million people still alive in, um, in the United States. So that's the that's kind of the, the seed for this. There's a lot of fascinating stuff. For example, in the Greenbrier, which is kind of the model that I'm basing this on, um, the, the members of Congress didn't run the shelter. That was run by a, a consulting group of former Special Forces guys, and they're the only ones that have the guns, right? They're the ones that enforce law and order. So in an enclosed environment, when you can't open the door for 60 days, now who's really running the place? Exactly. So <laughs> it's just – I'm very excited about it. It's going to, it's going to be really what fun to write. What a great concept. It'll come out concept. in 2021 is the first of okay. – I've signed for two. I don't know how, many, how long the series will last. Well, I like it because it's a small story wrapped in a huge story. Yes. And uh, it's a story of one woman wrapped in a, in a, in a geopolitical world story. I, I, I love that. Um, Wasn't that the way cool. of all good storytelling, really? I mean, it's, in exactly. order to bond with a story, it's it's about people doing things right. within a larger – it doesn't matter how big the canvas is. It's really about the people doing those things. Yeah. yeah when, I, when I teach at Craft Fest, that's easy for me to say, or Master Class, <laughs> I always tell the people, write a small story that has mm-hmm. a big theme or has a big story behind it. But if you want to get your idea across, tell a small story. Give it an example. Make it personal, and it'll work. It's yep. always about people at the end of the day. It's not about explosions and guns and science and all that. <laughs> now, you also have something very intriguing, your YouTube channel. What tell us, What is that all about? Well, the YouTube channel, uh, you can find it. by Look for author right. John Gilstrap. Um, I call it a writer's view of writing and publishing. And uh, I don't know, I've got 30-odd videos out on it now. Uh, they're short, maybe five minutes. And it's kind of the inside view of the publishing industry. How do authors get paid? How do movie deals work? Uh, what are the contract clauses that, that you worry about? What's the difference between a paperback and a hardcover, and why does anybody care? You know, that kind of inside baseball stuff. That It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it, frankly, it's gotten a lot of traction. Um, I think we're up to 1,600 subscribers or something, which is which is nice. I mean, for a year-old channel, cool. uh, wow. but it's it's fun and to the do ta- and, and the ta- it helps people. And the tag the tag is author John Gilstrap. Author so John Gilstrap. The writers, yeah, the writers and readers out there can can find that easily. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about: your Dare to Dream talk, and what is this about? I I love public speaking. Um, I I do yeah. a fair amount of yeah, it. Yeah, you're not very and, good at it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're a natural. It's, it's so hard to draw me <laughs> yeah. out, right? Yeah, exactly. So shy. <laughs> um, you know, it's you've spoken to writers groups, um, 
whether you know it's it's a statewide writers club or you know whatever the case may be right. and the room is full of really pessimistic people who <laughs> uh who then hang out with other pessimistic people and then they read blogs written by pessimistic people about how terrible the industry is and how um everybody is 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 plotting against, you know, traditional publishers are plotting against writers and that sort of thing. And what the Dare to Dream speech is really about is trying to give people a sense of perspective. You know, my my career has been a sign curve. It started out really big with Nathan's Run, and then and there was a slump, and then it came back after Six Minutes to Freedom, and now, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of riding the wave. And the actually, a very dear friend of both of ours, I won't mention the name because that wouldn't be right, uh, came to me at a Thriller Fest back in I don't know, 2003 or four or something like that. And she said, I'm so sorry about what happened to your career. And I said, Wait, what, what happened to my career? You know, I, I didn't know. Um, but because it was a slump and I kind of, you know, just everybody had assumed that, or she had assumed that uh, that I was done, I was beaten, you know, that I had failed. And the reality is, the takeaway from all of this is no, you're not you're not done until you declare yourself to be done. I mean, the tagline for this thing is that failure can't be inflicted. No one can ever cause you to fail. You have to declare failure, and and then that guarantees it. But as long as as long as you try to answer the bell, you're still in a fight. I like so that. that uh, Spencer Tracy said the key to acting was know your lines and don't run into the furniture. <laughs> and I think that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The um, you know, I'm, I'm a... gonna I'm gonna step in right now just for a second here because I promised you I would keep you only for you know twenty to thirty minutes. We're at twenty six minutes, but it's really important for me to ask you both. First of all, our wonderful host, Dr. D.P. Lyle. Doug, would you please tell us your web address and where we can find you on social media and a little about your podcast? Well, uh, it's www, of course, dplylemd.com, d-p-l-y-l-e-m-d.com. And you can connect there to everything, you know, Facebook and, and the radio show and the podcast and and Twitter and Instagram, all that stuff. You can find it all in all in one spot, and also all about the books. But my podcast is, um, I think it's a lot like John's YouTube channel. It's uh, it's about I, I do it. I don't have guests. I don't do interviews. Jan and I did that on the radio thing for for seventy right. shows over three and a half years. And I just right. decided I want to talk about what I want to talk about. So that's kind of what uh, Criminal Mischief is about. Yep. I, I want to say when you first put out your your first show, I went to listen to it and I thought, holy crap, there's a lot of ways for someone to die. And I mean, you just <laughs> went down this list for like 20 minutes and I, I never even considered it. And so you have some really fascinating things. It is a masterclass on crime fiction. And Thank Mr. You. John Gilstrap, my friend, also does a masterclass wherever he is. And I always learn something new from you. Tell us where everyone can find you, John. Well, start at johngillstrap.com is the best place to go. And um, while my, sometimes I don't plan all that well. My YouTube channel is author John Gilstrap, but my Facebook page is John Gilstrap author, just because I was asleep <laughs> at the switch. So. <laughs> um, so Hellfire will
next year. Is that right? For Hellfire, the next Jonathan. Oh, Hell! I heard you say how far. Um, no. Hellfire will be out <laughs> next July. Next yeah. July, and then you start the new series, which will have you named it yet, or do you have a working title? Um, the working title is uh, Victoria Series Number One. Ah, okay. <laughs> but I don't You're, think that one's going to get any traction. That doesn't feel well, right. I mean, what do they – they call that the, Victoria's Secret. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe. you, you got to have a yeah. – are you a good photographer, John? Do you go to a lot of lingerie shows? <laughs> um, Only as the model, but that's a whole different thing. There you thing. go. There yeah. you go. Um, you know, I, I have I have laughed – and so enjoyed this conversation. I really wish you'd come back again. As a matter of fact, John, I'm going to ask you to come back when Doug's book comes out in October. Is it Doug? Uh, yes. October so why 8th. Don't, yeah. Why don't we do tables turned and John, you come back and talk to Doug then. Okay. That'd be great. I'd I love think- it. I think that would be a lot of fun. And I want to thank you both for being with me. Uh, It is such a pleasure, mostly just a pleasure. But, you know, also, I really love you guys, and I love your work and all. And I'm so honored to know both of you and, you know, have met you in person. And, John, usually it's at the bar, I agree. Doug, it's usually when I'm interviewing somebody. But, you know, (laughs) it's always been fun. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. I truly appreciate it. John, you know I'm crazy about your books. Make sure your publicist has my name on the list because, <laughs> you know, you've got your own section in my main bookcase, as does <laughs> Doug Lyle. <laughs> okay. Thank you. It's always fun. It's always fun to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, both of you. And I want to say listeners and readers, thank you for joining me. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Thank <laughs> you.